welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, this is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Welcome to Endopod's revision series. Each episode will cover revision material for those preparing for exams or even just for those who are interested in learning the basics of endocrinology. In this episode, we'll focus on type 2 diabetes mellitus. We'll go over the pathophysiology, the causes, signs and symptoms, diagnosis and treatment of the condition. Type 2 diabetes is a chronic elevation of blood glucose levels caused by an insensitivity of peripheral tissues to the hormone insulin. Insulin is a peptide hormone made by pancreatic beta cells in the islets of Langerhans and acts on liver, skeletal muscle and fat to promote uptake of glucose and a subsequent reduction of glucose in the blood. Having prolonged periods of elevated blood glucose can lead to end organ damage, both microvascular and macrovascular complications. Type 2 diabetes is more prevalent than type 1 diabetes, and around 6% of people in the UK are affected by it, with the prevalence increasing with age. Males are slightly more susceptible to type 2 diabetes, and there is a higher prevalence in Asian and Black ethnic groups. Type 2 diabetes occurs when the peripheral tissues become resistant to the glucose, lowering effects of insulin. However, the beta cells in the pancreas remain intact, and there may even be a period of hyperinsulinemia. Risk factors for type 2 diabetes include an age of over 45 years, a family history of diabetes, a personal history of gestational diabetes, high blood pressure, abdominal visceral fat, and high cholesterol. Genes encoding for high-end beta cell insulin secretion are protective for the condition, and there is no link currently established with HLA genes or adiposity genes, unlike type 1 diabetes. There is a large genetic component of the disease with a 90-100% risk in identical twins. Although patients with diabetes can be picked up incidentally and are asymptomatic, common symptoms of type 2 diabetes include excess thirst, tiredness, polyuria, blurry vision, slow healing of cuts and wounds, and patients can also present with peripheral neuropathies and cardiovascular complications. Signs include low-grade infections, high BMI, and micro- or macrovascular complications. Diagnosis is by oral glucose tolerance test, blood sampling, and HbA1c. Oral glucose tolerance testing involves ingesting 75 grams of glucose, and blood glucose levels should return to baseline levels within two hours. If this fails to happen, the patient is diabetic. However, this test does not differentiate between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. A fasting blood glucose of more than 7 or a random blood glucose of more than 11.1 is also diagnostic of the condition, as is an HbA1c of over 48. HbA1c measures the glycated hemoglobin and measures blood glucose levels over the past 12 weeks. HbA1c cannot be used in children, pregnant women and those on medications which may cause a rapid glucose rise, for example corticosteroids. Type 2 diabetes includes lifestyle changes to improve and possibly restore insulin sensitivity of peripheral tissues by improving diet and increasing levels of exercise. Oral hypoglycemic drugs are used to lower glucose blood levels in the blood, with the first line of drug being metformin, a big one-eyed. Metformin inhibits pancreatic gluconeogenesis and antagonizes the effects of glucagon, the hormone which aims to raise blood glucose. 
However, with metformin, there is a risk of lactic acidosis and gastrointestinal side effects are common. Other medications include sulfonylurease, an example of one being glycoside, which stimulates calcium entry into beta cells to trigger insulin secretion. Sulfonylurease, however, come with the risk of weight gain and hypoglycemia. Third-line medications are thiosolidinodiols, or TZD, for example, pioglitazone, although th this carries a risk of bladder cancer and weight gain. However, many type 2 diabetes diabetics often have to resort to insulin injections to prevent hyperglycemia as long-term poor diabetic control can lead to severe complications. Long-term complications of elevated blood glucose include retinopathy, peripheral neuropathy, nephropathy and cardiovascular complications. The risk of complications increases to those who are smokers, have poor glycemic control and are hypertensive. Many of the complications are preventable by good glucose control, tight blood pressure control and early intervention. Diabetics attend foot screening and retinal screening at least once a year to, to detect end organ damage. Screening for increased urinary albumin excretion is also performed annually. Footwear in diabetics is also important to, in, in order to avoid amputation and shark of foot. Retinal abnormalities seen on fundoscopy include microaneurysms, hard exudates, cotton wool spots and blot hemorrhages. Overall life expectancy is reduced by about 5-10 to 10 years with the leading case cause of death being myocardial infarction. There is a 40 times increased risk of amputation, 25 times increased risk of renal disease and a 20 times increased risk of blindness in type 2 diabetics. concludes this episode on type 2 diabetes. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please follow us on our social media and make sure to keep a lookout for the other revision podcasts. As always we're very grateful for the support. And before I go I want to say a big thank you to Jade Kirsten who was involved in the making of this episode. Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier signing off. <laughs>